encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Listeners to another episode of the Buzz Me Bay podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined once again by Polly and Nathan, back together again. And uh, we have a special guest, the legendary former manager of the Busby Babe, and now a uh, sitting board member uh, pulling all the strings behind the scenes, uh, Brent Maximan. Legendary. Um, flattered. Uh, but yes, you're correct. I'm a legend. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, always good to be back. Good to see you guys. Yeah, the, we've had a little bit of a unorthodox recording schedule the last couple of weeks, so I guess it's fitting that the first time like, Polly, Nathan, and I are all back together in like a month, uh, we also get to have you back on the podcast to finally answer for the crime of abandoning us uh, right before the downfall. Um, of course, <laughs> leaving me in charge of a Manchester United fan site right before the vibes all go to hell. I... I uh appointed the best person possible and i asked everyone to throw their support behind him like another legendary former manager and that worked out perfectly fine well, a lot of crosses uh, united get a take two with uh eric ten Hag. um things have gone okay so far this season but slowed up a little bit recently i guess brent just talk a little bit about how how you see things have gone over the last couple of months. I know things have been up and down. And then of course there is a certain player who doesn't seem to go away despite his best efforts, um, kind of dragging the vibes down. But overall, uh, how have you kind of seen the Eric Tenagira so far? Yeah. I mean, the certain players, Cristiano Ronaldo, I know um, everyone is tired of talking about him and tries to avoid saying his name, mostly because his, a cultist group of fans will attack you online for pointing out that he's garbage. But um, I'm not a journalist, you know, I'm just the worst of all things. Just a guy with a microphone um, on a podcast. So I'll just say it. He's dog shit. Um, Sorry, you're going to have to cut that out. Yeah, but he's old. He's not good. Uh, He holds the team back because he can't do anything um, that Ten Hag requires from a number nine. And he doesn't contribute enough even remotely enough in other areas to warrant the team playing differently. Then the team has to play differently anyway, um, because he's just physically incapable of pressing. Um, of uh, he can he can't even do the sort of things um, that he used to be able to do. Um, you know when he would be effective drifting from wide, because um, he can't beat a man for pace anymore, and, and that lack of. Um, that lack of a first step, um, that lack of a, uh, agility now um, also means he can't even get good quality shots off. So that's been a hindrance, I think. Um, and maybe without having to shoehorn him into the team or maybe with better recruitment, you know, had we gotten a number nine or with better luck with uh, Martial being available. <clears throat> Although at this point with Martial's availability, you can't really complain about luck anymore. This might just be how his career is going to go. Um, it's like striker then, Eric Bailly. Right. You know, he, he's great. And when he plays an ideal um, in many ways, but he's just never going to be available consistently. So, but in any case, you know, had he been consistently available, um, 
or had we brought in a number nine, then maybe uh, the Ten Hag era so far is looking um, a lot more rosy. Uh, but I still think we are trending upwards, um, even if that progress is not completely linear. Um, I'm I'm satisfied with the direction the team is moving in. Um, I think his recruitment this summer has been outstanding. Um, and you can now see he has a clear idea of how he wants the team to play. Um, he hasn't been perfect. Some of the in-game management hasn't been great. Um, I think sometimes some of the uh, personnel decisions with rotations has been questionable also. Um, but you can see that he's building something. <clears throat> he's had to make some compromises. Whose you know, legs do you think fall off first? Ooh, um, well, the only thing I'd say is that hopefully Dallow won't be playing every game at the World Cup. <laughs> um, but if Dallow finds himself in a starting level at the World Cup, my bet would be on Diego Dallow because one, he's been very good this season, and two, the drop off from Dallow to next right back is. I mean, that's not even a gap. That's that's like a that's a chasm. Right. It's it's like when Solskjaer like refused to play anybody but Juan Bissaka and like even tried right. out Timothy Fosu Mensa there and was like, nope, we're gonna go back to tired Juan Bissaka. Which is really funny because the undroppable right back that we had for two years is now so bad um that the guy who couldn't get a game ahead of him is now the new undroppable. Undroppable. Right <laughs> yeah. And even if Juan Bissaka I, I know today Ten Hag said something about Juan Bissaka, him looking forward to Juan Bissaka coming back and uh, providing competition. But he's such a completely different profile of player. Like, there's no way. Even if he was fully fit, no chance. Right. And yeah, even... this is the question that I tried to ask in the Slack group was, is illness actually rampant? Like, because he said, he said Juan Bissaka and Brandon Williams are ill. Sancho's been ill, air quotes, for a few weeks. Is he... Is it rampant in the United camp right now, or is he protecting Sancho, who has been in bad form, and the value of a potential sale of Juan Bissaka and Brandon Williams to be like, well, they're not playing because they've been injured and ill, not because um, Diogo Dalot on one leg is a better option than either of them. Why not both? Yeah, probably probably a little bit of both. Um, well, isn't Ronaldo... Ill also, yeah, that's because he wants yeah, to make sure he's, he's fit for the World Cup, which is he's, he's what's sick, gonna help. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Ronaldo what? saving himself for the World Cup and being there for Portugal will help us in the long term because it means that Diogo Dallo will probably only have to play three games. <laughs> well, two if we go by the you know, rest the starters, I guess. If he gets, yeah, if he gets rotated, yeah. if he gets rotated if out, the third game, game doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, I, I it obviously still remains to be seen which teams are going to crash out. But I really, I really have a bad feeling about Portugal. It seems like they've just kind of ridden the high of Euro 2016, even though it only worked out at Euro 2016. And it seems like a waste of talent, particularly like Bruno Fernandez. Um, but again. Maybe we just get the first hand look at what Bruno Fernandez playing with next to Ronaldo actually looks like as opposed to what everyone else thinks. Don't yeah, I mean, worry they're, about they're also secretly 
a very deep squad. Like you look at that squad and you think, well, if they didn't have to drag this uh, out of touch, um, out of form striker along with them. That's but hey, he gets to inflate that goal total against San Marino. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they they have a a, a re- they, they have almost they have either a world class player or somebody who's excellent at every position. Port- Portugal over the last few years has gotten really sneaky good. Like the the Portuguese league in general has gotten really sneaky good. It's it's now my number one. Like, why can't America get a TV contract with the Portuguese league because we should be watching more Liga Nos. Polly Polly got to go to Portugal and witness it firsthand. So he's kind of, I think he got bitten by the bug. Oh, good. It's the study abroad guy. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that I went went to Benfica because they were playing that night. I didn't, and I was like, wow, this team looks really good. Like we should have hired this manager. I didn't realize that Benfica actually were really good. And it was like, I was actually. I was like, is Portugal that bad that Benfica just looks amazing? And uh, no, it turns out they're they're really freaking good. And also, that was the most peak Liga Nas match that ended with a penalty shout not given, a a really crappy penalty yes given, and the star striker getting suspended for a match because he scored the 96th minute penalty and took off his shirt while he was already on a yellow card. All vibes and all gas. Like I said, we need a TV contract so we can watch more Portuguese football. <laughs> Would you say it's the MLS of Europe? Ooh, that's a good shout. Wasn't that the Turkish <laughs> League for a little while? That, that, different. The Turkish League is like where your stars go to go to you know pasture. Yeah, it was like the retirement MLS. The yeah. China of Europe. The 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 Portuguese League is about like the fun vibes part of MLS. Where just like crazy happens. The MLS playoffs of Europe. So back on topic, Brent, uh, coming into the season, did you think that there was still any sort of future for Marcus Rashford at Manchester United? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, just because um, he is worth more to Manchester United than he is to any other team. Um, you know, because of uh, obviously coming through the academy, being a United fan, um, the things that he's done in the community. Um, I couldn't see any value for either United or Marcus Rashford in leaving last summer. No, that doesn't mean I think we'll never get to the point where he might want to move on um, or that maybe the best version of the player he can be might be at a different level or a club that that plays a different style. Um, and I think that's still possible, especially if, if Ten Hag is going to be the manager. Do you still think that? Yeah. I mean, because it, it, if, if you'd look at maybe where the evolution of this team is going to go, um, I could see if things go really well that maybe Marcus Rashford is not a guaranteed starter um for the for the type of players that that Ten Hag sees as his ideal type um I think that's always been the ceiling for where if you go back if you go back three years when when Solskjaer wanted Sancho and Grealish it was after Rashford had arguably his best season ever and it was like 
I think the best version of this team doesn't have Marcus Rashford as a automatic starter. Yeah. But I and I and I, before the season, I hundred percent would have agreed with you that his to be the best player he could be, he probably needed to be at a different, like maybe a little bit of a different club. But he's adding enough elements to his game now and rounding himself out that it it seems like you really can get the best version of him now. Yeah, and, and also managers trust players who deliver for them. Um, it's why Suicide always tra- trusted Marcus Rashford. Um, and it's why Ten Hag trusts Rashford, trusts Rashford now. Um, and I think now that he's adding, I mean, this like headers, you know, he downloaded headers uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere. Like I joke a lot about, you know, Rashford number nine. Um, and buying stocks in in Rashford as a number nine, I, I still don't think um, that's ever going to be his best position. But he's a he's a lot more of a, a viable option there uh, at the top level now than I think he he's ever been. Um, and at this point, yeah, new contract, he'll he'll be here. I think just kind of in general, but especially with Marcus Rashford over the last month or so. This just looks like a team that works on more in training or has made an effort to work on more in training. And particularly in attacking situations, it seems like Rashford has really adapted. Um, I don't think he's going to be in number nine. Can I ask you to rewind there? Um, As a team, what, what more do they work on? Because it's certainly not set pieces. Well, and no, I, I think not Rashford, pieces. I think I think there's some individual work there. Like Rashford has really emerged as a different player, but the team. Yeah. I'm 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 saying like in terms of team, the team attacking, it's not a great attack. So is is it that the team is like what elaborate on that of where you're seeing evidence? This just seems like or, a team that has more of an idea of what they want to try to do. I, I don't think that uh, I mean, like you said, on the the last episode, the last three games in particular, they've looked really bad. Um, and they want to try to do is kick of, the ball to seven. Yeah, I mean, him starting ninety minutes over four matches kind of derailed the good vibes that we had going for a little while. But it just seems like a team that has more of an idea of how to get the ball forward rather than. Uh, and, you know, maybe this is going to totally undermine my argument, but just you know generally funnel it through either Rashford or Bruno Fernandez, which we obviously saw at the weekend that without Bruno Fernandez, you kind of lose a lot of the ideas there, but it seems like a team that has more of an idea of what it wants to try and do. And when they get into attacking situations, you see players that are like, I've seen Rashford make runs that I don't really think I've seen him try to make in the last couple of years. Um, I really am looking forward to seeing him do that next to Anthony Martial, though. I think on the left is still where Rashford is going to play his best football. Because the times that he has played at center forward, he's still doing those things that he wants to do as a left winger. It's just more, I don't know, vibey in the center rather than being the kind of number nine that asserts that presence. Yeah, and we also haven't had, I think you see this progress in in flashes and bits and pieces because we haven't had everything click at the same time. Um, Casemiro needed a few games to get bedded in, to get fully fit. Um, probably 
over-relied on Ericsson a bit at the beginning of the season. Anthony, you know, missing a few games. Um, and Anthony is so important because of understanding where he is supposed to be, um, especially off the ball, that Rashford doesn't always, um, that Sancho even doesn't always, um, even though Sancho had a, a obviously a, a good football education in Dortmund. And then the big obvious one is, is you know, not having the right player in that number nine spot changes the rest of the attack completely. Um, so, yeah, I think having... I can see the progress, but but yeah, it, it sometimes it feels like maybe two steps forward, one step back, um, because we're always having to adjust for one reason or, or another. Yeah, it feels like they're a lot better when they play with 11 men, but too often they play with 10 and recently nine that it's been hard to gauge everything. But even with him on the pitch now, it just feels, maybe this is because I had to watch a Ralph Ragnick Manchester United for an extended period of months to unfortunate results. It seems like even with Ronaldo, there there's more than just get the ball to seven and a chance where he can turn the ball and shoot. And I think that maybe that's come out of necessity because he's only scored, what, two open play goals? in 18 appearances or something like that. Yeah, I mean to be to be fair and, and um I was obviously never in favor of us um re-signing him, but physically he's a different player than a year ago. Um because even the sort of things he could do last year he can't do anymore. Um so besides the fact that um you know Ten Hag is clearly implementing some um some different patterns of play and uh, the expectations are uh, different for the for the front four and for the midfield behind them, which also makes a big difference, right? This is a, a brand new midfield compared to last season. Yeah, part of it is just that even if we were only force-feeding Ronaldo, which we still force-feed Ronaldo too much, he just can't do anything with it in, in the way that he could even do last season. Um, yeah, Colin and I spoke about this on, on Monday, like nothing really sums up Ronaldo quite like the Europa League this year. And, and it was something when he came last year and he's coming off of 20 goal seasons at, at Juventus and it's, it's like, okay, but Serie A is not the Premier League and there's going to be a difference there. And there was, but you saw when he went out in Europe in the Champions League and when and he he played an Italian team, he scored three goals in two games against an Italian team and he he still dominated those European those European matches. And when all was said and done, he scored 15 non-penalty goals in the Premier League. Like that's still a good return. It's not a top striker for a top team return, but it's a good return for a top number that you would that you would think dropping into the Europa League, Cristiano Ronaldo should dominate this. And and like certainly like an in-prime Cristiano Ronaldo in six Europa League matches should score nine goals at least. Um maybe maybe last year's version should should score I mean he scored what six in the Champions League in five Champions League games. He he should be scoring goals and he had two, one of which was a penalty. And I I don't think anything summed him up quite like that 
first Real Sociedad match where he like couldn't even get shots off because he was so bad. His XG in the Europa League this year is 4.8. And that's including... Or no, oh, I don't think that's including his penalty. So, yeah, he's underachieved there pretty significantly. Um, his Premier League XG is not that great, but he hasn't really played in the Premier League a whole lot. Is that number all from the... Um... <laughs> the game against the uh, Cyprian team, uh, well, probably. But yeah, also that was, first Sociedad yeah. match, he like he got a lot of shots, but he also yeah. got a lot of chances that he should have buried where he didn't even get shots off. Those ammonia games it, it, were like peak agenda evidence matches for us. Like uh, I was, I was vibing, even though those games were, you know, we were not playing well. I, I was, I was living off the high of being right. This feel just across all sports, it feels like Father Time got got tired of people calling him out because, like, all of a sudden, Brady stinks, Aaron Rodgers stinks, Ronaldo really stinks. Batting a thousand again, he's back. Father Time. Any comment on Aaron Rodgers, Brent? Um, noted Manchester City fan, Aaron Rodgers. No, no comment. Is it Jordan Love time? It's Jordan Love time, baby. Go pack. Let's go. And we don't need to talk about any other team's quarterbacks. All right. We talk about my quarterback. Seems pretty cool. We call him Sunshine. Like in Remember the Titans. <laughs> um. So... I wanted to talk about the World Cup a little bit, but before doing that, I want to wait. Ask... If, we're, if we're going to the World Cup, I have another question for Brent before we get there. All right, go for it. Like, I know that there's other people on. There's some other people on other corners of the internet, and there's there's some other group chats Brent's a part of, which I think he participates in more than he talks to us these days. Not that I'm feeling spurned, but like, Brent, what are we doing with Donnie Vandebeek? Um, what is Donny van de Beek doing with Donny van de Beek? Um, besides, you know, standing around waiting for this team to turn into 18, 19 Ajax. Um, I don't know. I, um, I think he's a good player. I think he's a good footballer. Uh, I think that if we were signed in, the player we got from Ajax when we would two years into this Ten Hag project. Great. Um, but we didn't and we're not. Um, we have the player we have and we have the team that we have. And the team is not yet suited for his limitations. Um, which are which are plenty. Yeah, which are plenty. You know, and, and listen, I think, he's a, I think he's a good player, right? You know, he's like a like a good lead cello, you know, you can, you can stand out in an ensemble. Um, but if you're over at somebody's house, nobody's going to be like, Hey, bring that cello out uh, <laughs> and play some, play some for the ladies. <clears throat> or like, you know, we need, we, we need slash, right. Um, or we need uh, like a jazz savant, which is what, you know, Bruno is. Um, 
sometimes it's just going to sound like noise and sometimes, you know, he will move you to tears. But Bruno Fernandes just makes shit happen. Um, and Donny van der Beek participates in shit. And those are two di- different oh, types of number 10. <laughs> no, he does. He's, he's like, listen, if, if, the, uh, if you have intelligent players around him um, who will see his runs and who he could combine with, I think he'll be he could be part of some really slick football. But there are two problems with that. One uh, is that the player who he is backing up is our most reliable creator and also never injured and also currently the de facto club captain. Um, because and also can is... do what he does. And also, like, well, you, and that's, you're and that's a thing. bunch of things before you get to, like, oh, yeah, he makes good runs too. And that's the that's the one part, and then the other part is that, um, well, that, that's I guess that's unsaid in the play. That's the reason he's back. He's backing him up, right? Because they they ostensibly play the same role. And then the other problem for Van der Beek is that when he does get opportunities, the players that he are play, that he is playing with, which is usually some rotated team, are not at the level to be real challengers for the first team, right? Like Anthony Lange is fine. Nobody's but I think, under the impression. But over the last three weeks, the he's played. Eleven. Over the last three weeks or three games, he has for the most part played with those with the guys in the first team. S- sort of. I mean, not not all of right because he's also played out wide. He's played um, with some. I mean, he backups. played for Bruno on Sunday. He played with yeah. Ronaldo in and he, those games he played too, with, which I and think he played right. with Bruno. Bruno's the one that's going out wide. He's staying central. And here's the here's my big thing. Like here's the problem is you could show me all the videos of of him making runs and um and United not passing to him. And then you watch he came off yesterday and that Rashford goal came from Christian Eriksen making a very Donny van de Beek like run where he ran right beyond the shoulder of the striker. And got involved in there and allowed that ball to be loose for Rashford to go and get it. And right after that goal, Bruno Fernandez then did a very similar Von de Beek run. And Dow picked him out with a with a long pass right there. Um later in the McTominay's goal came from McTominay making a very Bruno for, uh Von de Beek type of run, bursting in through the scene to be the furthest man forward. And he was picked out. And you keep seeing other players make these runs that are similar to Van de Beek and they're getting the ball to the point that now you have to start wondering like Van de Beek made runs that Bruno makes when he was playing there on Sunday and they weren't passing him that at a certain point you have to be like, is this a conscious choice and why aren't they passing to Van de Beek? And it's like, well, maybe look at when he does get the ball, what he's, what he's doing with it, which is often nothing that it, at a certain point, you have to wonder why are they not passing to him, and it's not so much are they not seeing it, or are they not, or are they seeing it, and they're just like, no, like you're not the one we want to pass to. Yeah, well, and a lot of a lot of teams attacks are. Uh, it's not always that there is a synergy, you know, that's equally distributed among all members of the attack. Right, it's like a series of relationships right Anthony Martial and, and Marcus Rashford have an on-pitch relationship Bruno and Anthony Martial have an on-pitch relationship where you can see uh they sort of have a, a sense of when one 
one is making a run or looking for the ball or where they like the way like where and how they like to receive the ball um <clears throat> that makes a difference right it affects the decisions you make like split second decisions you make on the pitch and van de beek whether it's because he hasn't played or because he's out of sync with the rest of the team doesn't seem to have that kind of understanding with any of the other first choice players you could see him and sancho have linked up at times and you're like oh yeah they see football in a similar way but they haven't played together that much and sancho is having problems of his own um and yeah and after two years you could say, right, United have wasted Van der Beek because he was unfit for the role that he was asked to play. Um, he's not, he doesn't take enough initiative to be any kind of Bruno replacement. And the team just hasn't been um, anywhere near coherent enough for him to be part of a fluid, highly functioning attack. And on the other hand, you're a professional football player and you've been here for two years. You want to get back into the national team picture. You would have wanted to go to the World Cup. Um, at some point, you would have needed to adapt. Um, and he hasn't. So I think he's a good player. I think I only realized a couple of days ago that he is on the contract for another two years um, with the oh, option boy. of another one. Because um, it feels like he's already been here for so long. Um but I don't know. Uh, I would have said, oh, well, then maybe alone next year and, and then the team will be better when he comes back and he would have been playing regularly. But then Ten Hag said t today or yesterday, he doesn't think alone makes sense. And he said, essentially, either he succeeds here or it's time to move on. And I thought I was refreshingly honest. And that's probably where I stand with him right now. And I think it's more likely than not that he moves on. We've had better players um fail. Not right, not work out. Um, and sometimes it's the fault of the player, sometimes it's the fault of the club. More often than not, it's the fault of the club. Um, but oftentimes it's a little bit of both. I just I just feel I, that I would it's right gotten there. so out of hand and that we he's become that for some reason everybody just thinks he's a way better player than he is. And how like how did we let this player who should never be able to fail? He's such a unique footballer and such a smart footballer and there's so many other red flags about him that it just it was it was always a it it really shines light on how questionable of a decision it it was and i and i know the reason that united signed him was economical and not football related and that that's what comes home to roost yeah we wanted we wanted jack Grealish, and instead we got you know, a more timid and a Herrera. And, um, who also can't adapt to things under her <laughs> was at least okay. Right. At, a, like... a more timid and, and, and less flexible, if, you know, technically superior, um, version of under Herrera, but still, you know, not suited to, to do the role, <laughs> to play the role that was, was asked of him. And to be fair, the role that was, the role that is being asked of Bruno Fernandez is totally insane. Bruno Fernandez came into a fully dysfunctional team and was asked to just do things. Go on there and make football happen. Create, score, uh, drive the team forward, make something happen um, when everybody around you uh, seems to be confused and you're not being managed well 
and the team is thin and the midfield is garbage. That's, to- that's a totally insane situation for a footballer to step into. But Bruno is probably a sociopath. So it works out <laughs> expecting Donny van der Beek to be able to do the same thing. Um, even if you take that out, even yes. if you take that part out of the equation, like out of the equation on, on Sunday, like as it, within two minutes, it was very obvious that United were missing Bruno Fernandez off the ball. So even if you take out everything on the ball and a, a few of Villa's goals were scored because no midfielder came back and there was no help. And within four minutes yesterday, it was like, you saw, oh, there's Bruno hauling ass to to get back so that this guy doesn't have a free uh, pass. Like, so he hears footsteps and that's, just that. That's part of the problem with even the Donny van de Beek that came into Manchester United before all the effects of not playing in confidence and things like that is that he was a player who was most effective when the game was being played in the opposition's final third. And he's not the midfielder who's going to set the tempo and allow that to allow play to stay up there. He's not better than Bruno Fernandez at getting into the box, you know, scoring, making outrageous passes, things like that. And apart from all that, that's not really a game that Manchester United are that great at playing at consistently anyway. So it's like, where does he fit? If if that even if Manchester United are able to play in a way where they dominate possession and they keep opponents pinned back at their best, I don't think Donny is a player who gets into that team anyway. There there are three games that really stick in my in my head. Like Donny's two best games with United were Southampton away that first year and uh, the Turkish team at home. But then there's there's three games that stick in my head in is Leipzig at home, um, Villarreal away last year, and then uh, this match against Villa last night, where all three were like, you gave Donnie a chance in his preferred position, and each one of those matches, you could have described him as decent. Like, all right, yeah, he he didn't he wasn't bad in this one. He, he did an okay job. And in each one of those, he came off after like an hour, and United immediately got better. And when you look back at it, you're like, oh, right. For the first hour of this match, nothing happened. Like, we didn't do anything. And then in the last half hour, all of a sudden, we started getting a lot of shots and we started scoring goals. And that kind of just sums him up. Like, as a number 10, that that's sort of an indictment against you. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think it's also, look, Donny van der Beek not succeeding is also partially an, an indictment of the club. Um, so we need to be clear on that also because... This is not an ideal, this is not fertile ground for player development, right? This is this is harsh, not because of the pressure, because I think, pressure. That's, I think that's harsh. We've developed like three players in the last 10 years. So it. there so, you go. Like it's possible. It's it's possible. Um, I mean, look at Garnacho. We're we're still we're cranking him out, bro. We're yeah, gonna yeah, overrate him yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's the thing. Like th- this is not an ideal ground, right? Like um with the turnover in coaches, with the uh, imbalanced squad put together by various committees. Um, but this is the reality. So that doesn't make him a bad player, um, but you need a little something extra right now to be a success in this version of Manchester United. That might be different in two years, Um 
but we might not have two years, or he might not have two years. You know, he's a player with ambition. You know, he's been in on the national team scene since he was in his early twenties. Um, so he will probably want to leave to play regularly to rebuild his confidence, to rebuild his his reputation. Now that said, we don't have a necessarily better option at number ten right now. Um, you know, as an alternative to Bruno, I would love us to see Sancho there but then you take away an option from uh, the wide positions so yeah if if he could be a version of Malasio you know a competent backup that you can rotate the starter even though the starter is still a class above the way Luke Show is still a class above Malasio right now that would be great um, but we might just be running out of time which is which is fine, you know. We're better off cutting our losses, um, and nobody's ever accused Manchester United of cutting bait too soon with a player. Um, you know, if this was the Woodward era, we'd give Van der Beek another four-year contract um, and then let him leave for free in twenty twenty-eight. So, I think at this point, if he doesn't really crack on after the World Cup, then yeah. Cut, cut your losses in the summer. I mean, Ajax are always up for buying a veteran, so <laughs> maybe you can go back home. Nathan, what were you going to say at one point um, before you were cut off and then disappeared? Well, so we've kind of made the point already. Uh, I, I think Donny Van de Beek's purpose in the team is just to remind everybody of how inefficient the structure was when it was scouting and, and purchasing players because the 2020 window makes no sense. We don't need to relitigate the the purchases that were made, but it, it shows the point of there was pressure on Woodward to sign a midfielder and he goes, oh, cool, there's a midfielder that I can get that looks good in the window of the shop and it's at a steal of a price. I'm going to get that guy. And then it was just like, oh, we didn't need this in the house. Like this isn't, this is a, it's not necessarily a redundancy that we're taking advantage of. And so that's, that's the issue that he's running into. My thoughts just now are kind of jogged. And I have a question for the group then um, in relation to the, you know, who could be the most competent backup for um, Bruno and like listening to the talk of the devil's podcast, they, they've mentioned it a few times the idea of like, could Sancho find new life in the center of the park? You know, I still like the idea of that really vibey forward line. Like I'd love to see that happen again. That's a huge if with Martial not being able to stay healthy either. As Casemiro continues to bleed into the team and we've seen some success kind of with that Bruno Casemiro pairing, hopefully they continue to just become, the best of pals over the next month in uh cutter, you know, could we see Erickson also fit into that midfield and play a more advanced role then where he's kind of pulling the strings. He doesn't necessarily have to be the run into the box like Bruno does guy, but maybe he's doing a lot more facilitation than from a more forward position. That's what I wanted to see. Um, when Bruno was out, uh, I kind of wanted to see like a Casemiro Fred base and then Erickson, as the more advanced player, because as we've seen from the last few games, one of Erickson's limitations is his ability to defend when the team needs him to. Um, 
I I think going forward is has been the best part of his game, um, even in the peak of his career. Um, I, I I don't know though. I guess I, it doesn't seem like Tenog views him as that kind of player and wants him as one of the more deeper players in midfield. You also you you failed to mention as an idea, um, like we have a guy who was brought on. We have two guys who have been brought on as strikers recently, in McGuire and McTominay. Maybe maybe they get a shot there in that number ten spot. Well, McTominay is third on the striker depth chart now. It's it's Marcial Rashford yeah. and then McTominay. Somewhere Jose was just like guzzling wine and smiling. <laughs> Jose is the one that moved him from striker to midfield. Please don't ever say guzzling and Jose Mourinho in the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> oh my god, you you know like. He was probably just cupping his hand to his ear like it was Turin again. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Well, he's got. Yeah, I, think it's, I think it's what a guy. Uh, I think it's interesting that that um, like Colin was saying, Ericsson has not been used uh, really in that more advanced midfield position. Um, yeah, I would have thought by now, with especially with you know Bruno missing a game, that would have been an option to play Fred and Ericsson. We'll play Fred in Ericsson's role and push Ericsson through the up. Um, but I guess Ten Hag sees things differently for, for whatever reason. Fred's also been, uh, let us say, patchy this season. So that might be part of it as well. I think there's two things at play is that, yeah, Fred has, like, he had that one game against Spurs and then every game surrounding, surrounding that has been a performance that, does not scream at your manager. You need to put me back into the team. And I think if he was doing that, it would be an easier call. But also I think it was a, this is an opportunity to really, you've got Europa League, Bruno suspension, League Cup. See what Donny Van de Beek can do before the World Cup rather than let's put Eric's in there. Because like you have that in your back pocket and you know in Qatar... Fred and Casemiro are going to play together and they're going to you know, forge that partnership that they already have at the international level so that maybe it's a little bit easier for you to come back to it um, post-World Cup so that maybe now you can start resting Ericsson, although that's probably not going to happen. But at the very least, um, it would be bad to find, you know, now he knows what he wants to do with Bundabake, whether that's keep him here the whole season and use him in this role or try to move him on in January um, as opposed to waiting till after the world cup to find that out. Yeah. I, I can't see, I, I can't see any midfielder being moved on in January. Like we don't have the depth to afford. Van der Beek hasn't been great, but he is technically a midfielder. Um, we didn't have the brutal. depth up front or in midfield last year. And we let two players go because we just needed the wage relief. I think, this yeah, club but, will do anything to save money right now. Maybe this, maybe this is the time for Jimmy Garner to get a shot. <laughs> it's, it's it's his time playing the hits. Yeah, we don't have any um, recall options for the uh, young midfielders on loan, I, I believe, and we never know who's going to come back injured or out of form from the World Cup. If we have outgoings in January, I'd be I'd be pretty shocked. 
I don't. Well, I think if we can find a buyer for Ronaldo in January, I'd take that. But uh, you're not finding a buyer for Ronaldo in January. Who's buying him? Saudi Arabia. Unless he decides to go to Saudi Arabia, the only player that really can get a move in January is Palestri. Yeah, who? who is going to the World yeah. Cup? <laughs> that Uruguayan guy that's going to the World Cup and that might get people to be like, oh, we should buy him. Yeah. Like Nathan said, though, we're not going to rehash the 2020 transfer window because we don't want to. Um, So uh, we are running out of time because we've been podcasting for a little while now. I don't know what everyone's time limitations are, but um, real quick before asking a World Cup question. Do you guys remember uh, when a bunch of United fans really wanted Elon Musk to buy Manchester United? Was that a thing? Do you you think he would have run the club into the ground in two weeks? I don't even want to think about it. (laughs) He he would have been like, yo, Glazers, hold my beer. (laughs) Would Eric Tenog have still been manager after two weeks? Just like the the rate that Twitter is imploding in on itself. Uh, I was just thinking about that today. Like an insane amount of Manchester United reply guys turning into Elon Musk supporters of like, please, please, please buy this club. I can only handle the cult of one rich out of touch dickhead at the club at a time. Musk and that other guy together would have driven me to complete insanity. So... Dodge the bullet, I guess. You would have finally stopped contributing to alcoholism, Manchester United. <laughs> I'm sort of scared about the ownership thing. Like Liverpool leaving, um, it smells like that ownership group was like, saw how much Chelsea got sold for and see, saw that their Super League plan, which would stabilize revenue, is not going to happen. And they're like, well, time to cash out. Whereas the Glazers... Probably want to do the same thing, but that pesky little thing called a shit ton of debt is just getting in the way. Yeah. Do you guys want to um, apply for a loan together to buy Liverpool and then just like use the club to absorb all the debt from it? Then liquidate nope. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I'm not taking on any personal risk. <laughs> we can trade Theo Epstein or whoever to Manchester United, whoever's whoever's been running their front office, the Moneyball guy. Colin's just trying to figure out a way to meet LeBron. Look, all we need is a wing and we're back. (laughs) That's all we need, Polly. The Cavs are back. All right. So World Cup. Um, Brent, who who you got in the World Cup? Who do you think is looking like the pre-tournament favorite that is not France? Not human rights, I'll tell you that much. Um... (laughs) Out at the group stage, uh, human rights crashing out in spectacular fashion. Uh, well, it was, it was not the reigning champion, to be fair. So it might make human, it out of the group stage. I thought <laughs> I thought human rights didn't even qualify. Zing! <laughs> uh, it just didn't yeah. have deep enough pockets. Human rights, you know. Yeah, I think Need probably. <laughs> Um, yeah, bigger bag to hide the bodies of all the dead migrant workers. Um, probably Brazil favorites. Um, that list of defenders on their World Cup squad is a little spooky, mostly fullbacks. The fullback situation is, is, uh, 
a little terrifying. Um, but they, they probably have the most depth. They've been playing together for a while. They also have Alex Tellers. <laughs> but they also have Alex Tellers, so who knows? We we talking about Charleston Golden Boot this year? Yeah, if you have a, a crippling de- gambling addiction, go ahead and put your money down. Um, uh, I was going to say, yeah, probably, do you, probably Brazil. Do you think that they're over the loss of Jair Bolsonaro? Um, in one of my uh, rejected pitches, I uh, I did say that Brazil would be plowing through the opposition like Bolsonaro through the Amazon rainforest. Uh, that did not make the final cut. What's your biggest what's your biggest shock? What's gonna be the biggest shock of the tournament on the on the pitch? On pitch shock. France. They're not getting out of the group, right? They're getting out of the group, but I think they they could They're, be like, the, the problem they could be is that for group is so bad. That group is yeah. so bad that I, I can't ju- I'll probably bet on either Australia. I'll probably bet on Australia, but like Australia and who is it? Uh, Tunisia and Denmark. Right, you're right. Denmark's going through. Like that's like Denmark just has to show up and they'll go through. France is in complete disarray, and there's problems within the squad. They have that curse on them of the you're the ruse, uh, bro. Of the you're the champions, then the champions keep going out. That they're they're going to go out, but like you need to have at least three or four competent teams in a group for that to happen. And like, they have two, like it would take a miracle, but yeah, I, I would not be shocked if they go out. Like, like let Australia get like a quick one nil over them and set the tournament up. But I think they play Australia last. Yeah. They, I mean, they're definitely getting out of the group, but I think they are primed for an upset just because um, you, you can't afford uh, too many, if only's, in a successful tournament, right? You need a lot to go right for you. And sometimes you need everything to go right for you. Now, France has enough depth where they can afford... Um, no other squad uh, could afford to lose Paul Pogba and N'Golo Kante and still be considered favorites going into the tournament. Um, but France is so good and so deep uh, that it's kind of going under the radar. But you I think have... they're one... I, yeah, but they haven't changed their team over enough. I think they're one. I, I think they're one tournament too far, and that they'll, and that this is going to be the wake up call. So you get rid of the old guard and you turn it over to your Chuamani's and Kamavingas, um, and then they're they're back in a big way for the next Euros. Yeah, I mean, just because of that talent supply, they'll they won't have an off cycle really, or maybe this might be it because you have too many red flags. But you would just. <laughs> Uh, look at what Germany had done going into 2018. They like they were Olympic. They what they lost in a shootout in the Olympics. They had won the Confederations Cup like with their C team. They went. They were the semifinals of Euro 2016. Like everybody was like the the pipeline in Germany is just constantly going, and and they crashed. A crash is possible. Yeah. I mean, I, like it, it'll be tough with that group to crash out of the group stage, but I think they they're they're prime for playing a good team and then going out because there's too many red flags. They spy on the team, Varane injured, Benzema injured, the midfield hasn't played together a lot because you have two mainstays. The two mainstays of the midfield are not gonna be there. Then you have they were playing a different formation recently, then they're going to be playing at the tournament. That's too many, that's too many ifs, I think. Even though they're probably the most talented squad 
um, up there with Brazil. But that's too many, too many moving parts. You guys got me I excited. Think... I was looking up the matchups for the knockout round, seeing if England can play France. I think overall, this is like one of the weakest European contingents that we've had in quite some time. Like, is it because they're running all their players into the ground? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. But <laughs> is uh, it finally catching up to them? France, France is like, like Brent said, too many what ifs, too many, too many question marks. One tournament too far. England, at their best, are boring, but maybe they can run it back what they did last year but very Croatia's too very old. well possible that it's one tournament too far um belgium definitely a tournament too far so germany germany I, is like the most I, meh german squad i've ever seen i wouldn't be shocked to see the the dutch in the semifinals again don't believe so in your redemption tour out of group f i think i think canada gets out of it who's in that group Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Someone's getting concacaffed. I can see Belgium not going through. And I can see Croatia not going through. That seems like a tournament too far for them. They were pretty old last time, too. If Belgium still play Eden Hazard every game, I don't expect them to get through. Isn't he the captain? Yeah. And Vertonghen is going to the World Cup in... Vertonghen yeah. and Adder- Alderweireld. Is, yeah. is, is, is Torgen Hazard... Is, is Torgen Hazard on that squad? I don't know. Does he get nepotism points anymore now that Hazard, oh, Eden Hazard, Hazard sucks? Pri- Hazard privilege. Yeah, like yeah. he. It's too he bad that they're gonna everything play the... that he has ever gotten has come because he's Eden Hazard's brother. Like he's at Borussia Dortmund because he's Eden Hazard's brother. He didn't do anything to earn that move. I'm expecting that Brent is like looking at his at the squads on his screen or something like that. But it was really funny after. We said that it looked like he was just very confused at what we said, or maybe he was. I don't know. He was just like, um, no, I was just, I was actually trying to think if there was a point in time when Togan Hazard was actually better Hazard, <laughs> which is, a, no. I was about to drop off the tick. I was like, mm. not even, not even when Eden Hazard went to Real Madrid and it was terrible. Yeah, like I'm an Eden Hazard hater and I have been for a while now, and I, I even I don't think that there was a point. Yeah, yeah, that was that was too spicy even for me. That's <laughs> just just flat out a lie. Good call there. Um, so you know, speaking I'm gonna, of I'm gonna speaking take of being one cycle Euros too pick. much. Wait, what is Carl's Euros pick? Uh, Spain. Uh, Spain is good. They have um, probably yeah. a, a top uh, top three, top five manager at the World Cup. Also, have the benefit of being together for a long time. That group Tell me of about defenders. It. Busquets is 139 caps. That group of defenders is, as they say, basura. Because Jordi Alba, um, 43, 44 years old, uh, Aspilicueta, at least 50. Um, Eric Garcia, young, um, but garbage. <laughs> and then uh Paul Torres who is, if Victor Lindelof uh, wasn't so physical, and then a bunch of other guys. like That is not a good group, especially if your starting uh, hole in midfielder is going to be Sergio Busquets um, playing his, his 250th game for Spain. 
that that team could be gotten at. But they're really good. But that team could be gotten at. Just, it's I'm a cycle too late for England too. I'm looking at the um, Belgian out. squad, and that's like basically the same team that went four years uh, that went to the tournament in Brazil. It's like it, it looks like the same team that went to the tournament in Brazil, just minus like Yanazai and Fellaini. Nasser Chadley. I mean, this is a uh, yeah. That's it's one tournament too far for that. Uh, no. Colin, can you let's get your dad on the line um, so I can tell him that it's a tournament too late for England. Also, <laughs> just just to really drive that home. <laughs> thank thank you, Brent. Yep, I just want to is make it, sure that it, you didn't miss it. Is it a last minute? Pepe is going to the World Cup. <laughs> Pepe? Wait, like I'm Port- sorry, I'm sorry. You cannot, you cannot <laughs> tell me that Portugal are like amongst the favorites when they have two players that are literally in wheelchairs. Well, Danny Alves is going for Brazil. I don't even think he has a club right now, or at least he's not on FIFA. So hold on. Oh my God. Uruguay are led by Suarez and Cavani. Like, what year is this? <laughs> Have we not developed any talent? <laughs> uh, question, question for my uh, American friends: How far, uh, or oh, oh, uh, how far do you think the U.S. is going? Well, they Our should get out infants. of the group. They should get out of the group. They are a good team. They lack a striker. They, their, their coach is definitely not using the team in the best way. Um, um our best this is going to be. Our best, our 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 most marketed. This is going to sound familiar. Our most marketed player, certainly not our best player anymore. Um, but the team's still built around him. At least he's they, fresh. They should get out of the group. At least he's fresh. You know, he hasn't he picked up any injuries, and, and and because he's only played one game in the last like month, he ha- he's not injured. I think knowing my luck so, personally. Um, USA are going to get a result against England and then not win either of their other games, including in a really boring game against Iran that finishes nil-nil. Oh, Carlos Kirosh is getting two nil-nils out of this group stage, <laughs> at least. That that man is a footballing terrorist of the highest standard. <laughs> so you just have to decide which of the games they play is going to end nil-nil. I Isn't it Wales, crazy that he's I like... I think Wales will do you also, by the way. Yeah, it depends on which gear, uh, Gareth Bale shows up to this tournament, I guess. Isn't it crazy, though, that Carlos Kairaj is, like, considered one of the more effective Ferguson assistants, like, ever? Like, the gold standard of Ferguson assistants. Right. <laughs> this guy got Roy Keane out of the club. And he <laughs> turned it over to Rooney Ronaldo Tevez, and... And it worked very well. What I'm nervous about in this group is um, we're going to have DeAndre Yedlin and or Serginio Dest trying to defend Dan James running in a straight line. It's not great. <laughs> um, I, I think for the U.S., though, this is an interesting World Cup in the sense that you've only got one guy with uh, World Cup experience. So... 
if you're in the minority of men's national team fans with no expectations and just looking for vibes, I think this is a good World Cup to see a core group of players start to get that experience that they need for 2026, where I think a lot of the, you know, the pressure will then be put on them since they'll be one of the three host nations. And I think there's a lot of expectations. You know, U.S. soccer is going to want to try and plant their flag in that World Cup. Um, the other thing, because I'm a homer, they're – there's an actual Richmond kicker that is going to start the games for um, the U.S. men's national team and Matt Turner, um, the current Arsenal goalkeeper, but used to play for the kickers. So that that part, at least for me, is exciting. Um, I think a lot of the players are really good vibes, guys. We like them a lot. And I think this is a good opportunity for them to one get experience. We can finally probably nip the Burhalter experiment in the bud when it does fail. Um, and then we just hope it's that not an experiment like, anymore. <laughs> And then we just World hope, Cup. We hope Leeds gets tired, uh, or maybe Jesse Marsh is finally tired of just being called Ted Lasso inappropriately by English people because that's the only American soccer like thing that they have. Um, and then Jesse Marsh comes and coaches the, the team to a World Cup final in uh, 2026. So that, those are my. That's what I'm looking at. The man who said today that he doesn't really care about international football. Hell yeah, brother. No. Don't care about it once that check clears. All right, I'm t- um, I I got a feeling the federation is going to go so hard for 2026. Like they're they'll back up the Brinks truck for the right solution. Plus, he he might get sacked by Leeds at the end of the season anyway. So, yeah, I'm just still not that excited for that World Cup. Like the you, World you Cup, of... you don't want to go to New York City for a uh, World Cup game. No, I've, I've I've been very open that like I will definitely try to go to a game, and I will would rather drive to Philadelphia than go to MetLife Stadium. Uh, the World Cup of parking lots is not going to be as amazing as they're trying to tell you it is. To to our international listeners, if you're coming to New York City, do not stay at the Roadway Inn in Secaucus, New Jersey. But also, do not recommend. But also maybe <laughs> don't stay in Manhattan either because it's not as easy to get to the stadium as you think. Oh my God. What a mess. They New really York and San Francisco are going to be New York and San Francisco are going to be surprises for travelers. Dallas <laughs> and Dallas. That's right, because uh, they're going to play at like, Levi Stadium, right? Basically, and for mm-hmm. Santa Clara, basically Wolf. every stadium isn't there. Aren't there games in New England? Aren't there games in Foxborough? Oh, it's a lot stadium. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, there's we're nowhere going to near Boston. Boston. <laughs> yeah, it's about forty-five minutes away. Uh, every, everyone's going to every, find out how much this country sucks. Every or at least city, the cities suck. Every city that has an NFL stadium downtown, that's like within walking distance of downtown, is not hosting games. Except not Seattle. getting any in Nashville, Chicago. Uh, Seattle's going to be great. Seattle's going to be good. Though. Seattle's going to be the best the, one, and that's, that's it. The Otherwise, like, go to the games in Mexico. This is why Those New Orleans needs to figure out how to grow grass. Um, I mean, it's the French's fault anyway for building a city at the bottom of a bowl. But, like... New Orleans would be such a cool World Cup host city if they could just figure I mean, out Philly's a way to have be good. a real stadium there that's not AstroTurf. Philly's good because they have that like they have that Xfinity. All the trains go to Broad Street. All the trains go to Broad Street on game day, so you'll be all right. It'll be like being in Europe at least. Yeah, Philly. Philly will be better than um, a lot of other places. <laughs> San Francisco, Dallas, New York. Yeah, those are going to be a nightmare. Atlanta is, will be cool is Vegas hosting a game? No. Oh, God. That's too bad. 
That's a sick stadium, and it's also in you know the city. No, it's not really like you can't really get anywhere. Like you can't really get from the stadium to like the actual Vegas without taking an Uber, and like that's a nightmare. Yeah, but that's after, like a, after a game. Yeah, it's not that bad though, comparatively to the other cities we named. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to add the podcast here because it's been going on for a while now. But um, talking about urban development and uh, the king empire. And and, Brent, don't be a stranger forever. What do you mean? I'm on here all the time. (laughs) Basically, a co-host of this podcast. Well, if you want to come back during the World Cup at some point, uh, you're more than welcome. Yeah, let's uh, let's cover one of the matches live at um, what times are the games? I don't even know. Uh, well, the first round of matches every day starts at 4 a.m. in the group stage. No, 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 no. So you're, 5 a.m. You're, you're in the past. You're living in the past. Don't give yeah, us your fake time times. zone. Get out of here. Don't. We got we got the first. Holy, I don't live in the past. I live in Mississippi. <laughs> it, goes, it goes 5 a.m., 11, uh, 5 a.m., 8 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m. And every United States game is at 2 p.m. Because I guess Fox paid that big money. I, I, what I'm hearing right now, Colin, is you and I just need to like pull our funds together, get a hotel in Manhattan, and then we just do a live pod. Live five a.m. Live five a.m. pod from New York. Yeah, yeah we from can, the bar. We can sit at Brent's table outside and just oh, set up no, our microphones. We, we, not at five a.m. I've gotten word of that the bar will not be open for the five a.m. games. It will be open for the eight a.m. Your bar has the same rule as me: do not set alarms for games. It always ends in <laughs> so, disappointment. So Brent, we cannot we cannot catch the early match. We'll uh we'll set up in my house and we'll uh podcast live. Wonderbar. Can Bo- can Bomani Jones come over too? I, I, I want to gauge his soccer opinions. Oh yeah. Let me text him right now. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you all for listening and uh entertaining us through whatever those past 20 minutes of World Cup talk has been. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you next time.